Hello and welcome to the Shut Your New Soul podcast. On this episode, I speak with my very good friend, Nick Schrader, writer and super fan about professional athletes in protests. Please note, this recording was done before the Jacob Blake shooting. I wanted to do something about sports and I'm not, you know, very well versed in sports. I mean, I watch some NFL the occasional NBA game, but I wouldn't say I follow anything. Right. Um, and when I was thinking about like, how can I get this done, you were the the, the sportiest person in my circle. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know Nick. He knows the, he knows the sports balls. Right. Yes, that's exactly what my wife calls it too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and you know when 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 the when the pandemic started and then we had, you know, the incident with George Floyd, you know, of course, everything stopped after the pandemic. And then we have this historical moment with the protests and all the companies, including the NFL companies, jump on the bandwagon. Yes, it's not which, it's not a know, protest until the brands get involved, you know. Right. Because, I mean. It, especially especially when it comes to the NFL, it was like whiplash. So, <laughs> so I, I, I started hearing these reports about what people are saying, and I'm like, I guess 2016 never happened. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, life comes at you fast in a pandemic, I guess. Well, I, 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 imagine, I imagine Colin Kaepernick sitting somewhere on a beach, kind of like, <laughs> well... <laughs> I, I, I invited I invited you to the, to the party. Glad to see you showed up three years later. Yeah, right. He's looking on the beach, looking around, going, "Wait, is it is it 2020? <laughs> <laughs> is this really happening?" It's insane. So I I, I do want to read a portion of um, Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner's statement after the protests uh, uh, after George Floyd, because. You're going to think we stepped into bizarro land. <laughs> because if, 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 we, if we had a time machine and we could send this back to 2016, Roger Goodell, he'd be like, who wrote this? Right? Yeah. That wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. It was my evil twin, Modger. <laughs> so here, here he goes. Uh, the NFL family is greatly saddened by the tragic events across our country. The protesters' reaction to these incidents reflect the pain, anger, and frustration that so many of us feel. Our deepest condolences go out to the family of Mr. George Floyd and those who have lost loved ones, including families of Breonna Taylor in Louisville and Ahmaud Arbery, the cousin of Tracy Walker of the Detroit Lions. As current events dramatically underscore, these remain much more... There remains much more to do as a country and as a league. These tragedies inform the NFL's commitment and our ongoing efforts. These remain an urgent, urgent need for action. Recognize, we recognize the power of our platform and communities and as part of the fabric of American society. We embrace that responsibility and are committed to continuing the important work to address these systemic issues together with our players, clubs, and partners. So 
Well, first I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you react to it. Well, I mean, my first reaction is I I tend to be kind of try and look at things in the positive light, and the positive thing would be that it's been almost four full seasons since Colin Kaepernick started um, protesting against uh, police brutality and racial injustice, and it's nice to see, at least organizationally, that you know the NFL is growing. <laughs> you know, you don't want you you'd you'd like to not see them dig their heels in and or just stick their head in the sand um but at the same time if we rewind back to 2016 um the the company line and Roger Goodell's personal line was basically anti-kneeling anti-protest um and they, you know, I think we both know that the NFL is kind of notorious for blending their game and patriotism and uh, support for the military, which, you know, that's great. But, you know, patriotism to me is taking a stand for what you believe in. And, you know, I, you'd have to be a total monster to not believe that police brutality is wrong and racial injustice is rampant. You'd ha- you'd literally have to stick your head in the sand. And so, while it's nice to see the commissioner grow, it's also disheartening to know that a man who got I don't remember how old he was in 2016, but he was at least in his, you know, 50s. You know, how do you get to that point and kind of try and bury this dissent because you, you think it's bad PR. But then three years later, you think, okay, now we're going to take a stand because we've seen somebody essentially die on camera for eight minutes. Like where, where's the disconnect there? Well, I don't know that the, the shift was a reaction to the video as much as it was a reaction to the political winds changing. Sure. So when you, when you, when you start seeing all those white people getting tear gassed and and you know facing uh, riot riot gear clad officers, people people looked on that differently. Then you go back to Ferguson, and yeah, there was a spattering of of, of white people in, in those protests, but not to the degree we're seeing right now. So really, what they're what they're seeing is oh, there's a there's a shift going on in the culture. And if we, if we want to maintain, especially these young white fans, we need to be on the right side of this, which is of course, very opportunistic. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're, you're not wrong at all. Obviously my first question is always like, how did somebody get to that point? But you're not, you're not wrong. Once, you know, this country is kind of notorious for, once it becomes a huge problem for white people, it becomes a huge problem. Um, you know, I'm thinking most recently of like the opioid epidemic where, okay, you know, b- prior to that, dr- drugs are a problem and we need to incarcerate mostly brown folks. But now that it's, you know, mostly white folks because it's and and it's opioids, oh, we, you know, they're finally coming around to uh, we need to look at treatment and, you know, reforms in the the healthcare industry, that sort of thing. So um, it's, it's, it's great that the NFL seems to air, you know, kind of air quotes be growing, but like, like you pointed out, it's also disheartening to know that, 
you know, it it takes impact upon white folks in order to get them to move. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, as human beings, it you know, full disclosure for people, since this is an audio medium, I I am white. I am a white male. You know, wait, wait, the... wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I know you. You're, you can probably going... tell from my voice. <laughs> um, but it, you, you know, it's it's really just kind of sad to me that that's what it takes all the time. That that a lot of white folks can't be empathetic because it's you know if it's not happening to them. Um, so. You know, I have grown up a huge football fan. When I was a kid, I wanted to play quarterback in the NFL, like I'm, you know, millions of other children. But as I've gotten older, I've actually gotten more disheartened with the NFL and how it's run and, you know, the use and abuse of mostly black players and you know, like you said, this this does seem to be a an opportunistic grab at keeping any sort of fan base amid you know a whole host of things. You know, we could we could dive into you know their concussion crisis, that sort of thing. Their um, you know some of their uh, labor issues, but I I think that's probably a whole different podcast. <laughs> Well, actually, no, because I I did want to transition into to labor because speaking out against police violence and social injustice is great. But if you do nothing about the things that privilege some and, and discriminate against others in your own organization, then what are you really doing? So right. what, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm speaking to in particular is the lack of, of Black owners and coaches in the NFL. I um, was listening recently to um, a report about the, the, what's the rule that the NFL has? The Rooney for, Rule? Yeah, the yeah. Rooney Rule. And they were saying how in one case there was a uh, um, um, like a like a you know special teams coach who was asked to interview for a a a uh, general coach position and declined because he <laughs> he was like he was like this is this is just for show you want to you want to trot me out to say you did it. And then you're going to hire the guy you wanted to hire anyway. Yep. Oh, man. There is a whole host of, um, there are, excuse me, a whole host of coaches who have spoken out against the kind of the tokenism of the Rooney rule. I think the, you know, this is one of those heart in the right place, but execution is just horrifying sort of rules. Like the idea was that we would, you know, if you would get, you know, black and brown, non-white folks in the room, that they would impress management enough and 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 you know have the same qualifications as as their white counterparts, and you know, owners and general managers would be like, oh yeah, definitely we want we want this guy, but um, it it's definitely become a, a a source of tokenism that you know, like you said. <laughs> media reports weeks or months ahead of time 
essentially list out who a team is going to going to interview or and and pretty much hire for the position and then you you have these other reports of oh you know like uh well Anthony Lynn is a coach for the Chargers right now but like he would be brought in or you know other black coaches they'd be brought in and and oh they're b- being given serious consideration and then of course you give it to you know Mike McCarthy who's been out of the league for a year or you give it to um you know, uh, Greg Williams is a defensive coordinator for the Jets right now, I believe. You know, he's been given how how many opportunities and he was involved in the your beloved New Orleans Saints bounty gate scandal. You know, he's he's on video basically advocating for his players to maim the opposing team. But, you know, he's given opportunity after opportunity and, you know, the New York Jets had a head coach uh i'm forgetting his name right now of course um but he um he was head coach for like two and a half maybe three seasons before you know he was just kicked to the curb and you mean personally two and a half three seasons as a head coach isn't isn't enough time to even form your own team in your own image like (laughs) college coaches a graduating class you typically think of four-year seniors and NFL coaches get a couple years like how you know how's that supposed to work um Todd Bowles by the way sorry I just remembered his name uh Todd Bowles was fired you know after some some bad years and it's like it seems like um non-white coaches not only have fewer opportunities, but are given shorter leashes. And, mm-hmm. you know, the NFL's PR arm is doing its best to try and kind of, you know, Wizard of Oz, don't look behind the curtain. It And it's, you know, it's really frustrating. Well, if you, if you set up a rule where I have to come in and impress you, why, why is the, the onus on the applicant to come in and do a little step and fetch it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. To, to, to get a position. It's, it's if, if, if that's, if that's the underlying thinking, if, that, if that's the premise of the, of the rule, then it's probably dead in the water anyway. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's very hard to know the, the, the background, the full background of the rule, obviously the public, uh, perception and PR of the rule was that it would it would get um, non-white folks in the room at the very least. It would force teams to at the very least least um, interview um, and that over time that would lead to um, hiring and you know kind of smooth out the the imbalances and disparities but you know that's it's not proven it's not proven correct. I, I mean, I applaud. So the Rooney rule is named after the owner, uh, the longtime owner and longtime family owner, I guess I would say of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And to their credit, um, they've, uh, they've kept Mike Tomlin on for over a decade. I, I don't know how long he's officially been the head coach and, you know, they stand by him and, you know, brought him in early on. He's, he's pretty young for an NFL coach. Um, but they seem to be the only team that really truly cares about it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my team, the the Green Bay Packers, by the way, um, had a, a black head coach named Ray Rhodes for one season. 
He was given one season to be a head coach and then fired. Like, I don't know about you, but the first, you know, five or six months I'm on a job, you know, a new job, a lot of times I'm just getting the lay of the land. I don't even know people's names yet, let alone. You don't even know where the, where the bathroom is. <laughs> right. Like, but you're going to tell me that, oh, we, we've seen enough after 16 games to know that he's just not a good head coach. Like, that to me is is absurd. I really wish you know, teams would wise up and know that, you know, even the circumstance, like random chance dictates that after one year of 16 games, you can't fully know how good a coach is like Bill Belichick wasn't had a, had a, a few okay seasons with the, the Browns, but he also had some terrible seasons with the Browns. Now he's well, clearly the best coach of all time, you know, at least record wise and Super Bowl wise. And you're going to tell me that, you know, the the Browns, you know, he got canned and like it's, it's, you know, he's been given a longer leash than, than Ray Rhodes or Todd Bowles um, or uh, shoot. Uh, there's a guy in Tampa Bay who's Lovey Smith, uh, excuse me. Um, it, it, it starts to be, about Lovey Smith. yeah, you know, it starts to become suspicious. You know what I mean? Um, to the Bengals credit. I guess, you know, Marvin Lewis was kept on for over a decade, a decade, excuse me. Now, you know, there are other problems with Cincinnati's organization, like being super cheap, (laughs) but so maybe that's why they kept him on. But, you know, to their credit, they, they kept him on for a long time. Yeah. Well, moving along, I wanted to also cover a a few more things, but um, I'm sure you've heard about NASCAR banning the Confederate flag. Yes. And, before I have you respond to that, I want to tell a little story about NASCAR and the Confederate flag, or ra- I'm going to say racing and the Confederate flag. I, I'm not entirely sure this was a NASCAR race or not. Okay. I think it was, but this was years ago. So when when I first uh, was starting graduate school, I needed a summer job. And a friend of mine worked at a restaurant, a German restaurant that needed pe- needed people to bartend at a, at the uh, Milwaukee Mile. Mm. This is probably 2002 or 2000, 2002. Okay. So I, I get the job and one day I'm on a break and I'm walking around with with uh, a friend and I see you know this guy selling bandanas and all kinds of gear and there's a Confederate flag bandana. So mm. I was like, "Well, I've got to buy this." <laughs> so, I, so I bought it because oh, b- before that we we we'd had a health instructor come through, and I have I have dreadlocks, and they they wanted my hair covered, and I was like, I'm a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> so I went out to to buy a head covering, and I saw this 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 Confederate flag uh, bandana, put it on. I'm slinging drinks the rest of the day. <laughs> And people would come up to that bar and look at me like I was from Mars. <laughs> because you, you could tell that you could tell that they didn't have a problem with the Confederate flag. Right. But they were confused why I was wearing it. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's incongruous. I have, at I have so much fun. <laughs> I mean, I think you hit the you hit the nail on the head there. Like, you know, there's a lot of uh, public denial and revisionist history around the Confederate flag. 
Um, I the whole heritage not hate thing I've never believed. Um, now, granted, you grew up in the South. Uh, for those who don't know, Frizzell grew up in Mississippi. I, I did. yeah, you know, I do not. I did not. I grew up in Wisconsin, which is you know, um, I don't want to say aggressively white, but <laughs> it's it's very well, also, white. Also, wasn't part of the Confederacy, right? Yeah, that too. Um, you know, the weird, weird America's Dairy Land, and also the the birthplace of quote unquote progressivism. You know, Bob LaFollette and all that. Um, but I, so I've ne- I never bought into the the revisionist history surrounding even just this that symbol. Like to me, that says you were fighting to keep black folks as unpaid labor first as you saw them as not human. Um, and, and you lost, but you still want to hold on to those ideas. So like that, that symbol to me, you know, is clearly recognizable what it actually stands for, whatever people say in public or not. So the looks you were getting, (laughs) you know, the laughter we can have behind it is like, yeah, we know that, you know, this is wrong on multiple levels, but you're not going to say anything. Right. Um, you're, you're okay. You're okay with, with using it yourself. Right. Because you, you know, you, you really know what it means, but when you see me wear it, then you're not, you're not sure if I'm mocking you <laughs> or if I, I have some some sort of Stockholm syndrome, <laughs> right? You're uh, I can't remember the name of uh, Dave Chappelle's uh, character from his show, but is it was it Clayton Bixby? Yeah, yeah, yeah the black the black white supremacy. <laughs> yes, it's like they're not they're looking at you like, wait, are are you playing a joke? Are you actually, you know, are you on our side? Yeah. You know, like, but it, so <laughs> that's that's actually really funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, to 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 the to NASCAR's credit, they had they had an official policy against the Confederate flag before this. They just didn't go out of their way to stop fans from bringing it in. Right. It uh, wasn't. It was selectively enforced, is what it was. Right. Yeah. Which you know we see a lot in the, in this country. Um, but yeah, I. As far as Bubba Wallace's situation is concerned, it's it's kind of this weird situation because um, I saw I read well, something. T- 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 tell us who Bub- Bubba Wallace is. Sorry, so Bubba Wallace is a NASCAR driver. Um, he's essentially I I mean I full disclosure I don't really follow NASCAR all that much. Um, I believe he's one of, if not the only, um, non-white drivers in nascar so um even just to make it to the you know the big leagues in a sport like nascar for him is is huge um and uh, i believe it was a few months ago maybe a month ago i it's hard to say man time is is almost meaningless during quarantine <laughs> but uh a few months ago he was in the his team was in Alabama racing Talladega, which is huge uh, for NASCAR. And the garage they were assigned had um, a what what is being described as a door pull, like an, an overhead kind of garage door pull. Um, 
it was a rope that was formed at the end into a noose. Let's let's be honest. Some people can say, you know, it's a it looks like a noose or it's a noose like not, but it was basically a noose. Now, subsequent uh investigations by the FBI have pointed out that, well, it's actually, and they have this on video, it's actually been there for a long, long time. So it wasn't it wasn't directed at Bubba Wallace, but you can see how somebody who, because I, uh, sorry to rewind there a little bit, these garages when they get to Talladega are not like um, uh, an assigned locker in a locker room. It's just kind of your randomly assigned, uh, you know, uh, space uh, to to do your work. And so it, it's one of those things like it didn't seem to be directed at Bubba Wallace, but I come at it from the perspective of, okay, maybe it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a threat. It wasn't uh, a hate crime. It wasn't directed at Bubba Wallace. But NASCAR and some of the people in NASCAR are so privileged and oblivious to the fact that, you know, there's hardly any black folks around. So they don't think, hey, maybe if I tie this knot into a noose that some people might not like it. They could be considered, you know, threatening or offensive. They're, you know, they don't have that lived experience of, of, oh, geez, a, a noose is a bad thing. I, we definitely don't want that. Um, it's, you know, it, it's hard. Obviously, I haven't lived that experience, but, you know, I try and read and watch and listen and all that you know, everything to the experience of, of non-white folks in this country. And I'm looking at it going, how can you not initially, whether, whether you believe, you know, the subsequent investigation or not, how can you not initially take that as threatening, you know, as you know, the noose is a symbol of, centuries over a century of of violence and oppression and social control in this country and you know it even even if you thought hey the, you know this is a good sturdy knot for a for pulling down a door <laughs> you, you know that that may very well be but maybe maybe try something else you know yeah well and 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 uh he had advocated before for re- removing the Confederate flag or, or doing something about it at NASCAR events. Um, right. If I'm remembering correctly. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right. So yeah, the timing is definitely uh, suspicious. You know, it's, you know, maybe the, the crime or the, the offense isn't necessarily that the door pole looks like a noose, but that, Bubba Wallace, who's advocating for, you know, racial justice, was assigned that garage. Right. I mean, yeah. Maybe maybe that was the act of violence, not the actual uh, tying of the news. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that leads me to what I want to talk about next, next is the role of athletes in in, in protest and social social justice uh, advocacy, because we've we've gone through at least a decade of people saying, you know, 
shut up and dribble. <laughs> yeah. So where, thanks, where, Laura Ingram, <laughs> born in Appleton, Wisconsin, by the way. Or I'm sorry, uh, that was uh, Greta Van Susteren, wasn't it? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, where, 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 where do we go? Are, are we at a point now where we can actually have, you know, public figures who are not politicians be political? Well, I mean, I think it's also, it's important to note that I, you know, from a modern perspective, um, which, you know, essentially, I guess we could consider modern the invention of television, you know, moving. I think we both know that movies um, have a have a huge impact on on how people perceive things. Um, so television is just kind of, you know, that day to day. Um, impact of of moving pictures um so modern athlete protest is it has a long history um i'm thinking about uh tommy smith and john carlos in the 68 olympics you know they're raising their fists um you know like colin kaepernick their their protest was kind of dismissed and pigeonholed as like a, a anti-patriotic uh, black power movement. Well, no, they were protesting essentially the same types of things that Colin Kaepernick was decade, you know, decades later, almost what, 40, 40 years later, 50 years later, it, you know, poverty, r- racial injustice, police brutality. But it get you know, because this country is overwhelmingly white, it gets pigeonholed as as almost like a personal you're against me sort of thing. So the Donald Trump has a very, very is very adept at at, uh, framing things in this sort of manner, which is partially why he occupies the white house right now. Um, So we have, we have kind of a through line from, from us, from Smith and Carlos, we have Muhammad Ali protesting the Vietnam War. Um, fast forward, you know, several decades, you have uh, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf protesting the national anthem way before yeah, Colin Kaepernick. People, people, for, people forget about him. Yep, they absolutely do. Yeah. And I mean, he was not only a great player, but you know, he was. I believe uh, he converted to Islam and. You know, like Kaepernick, he decided that the flag is representative of injustice to him. And, you know, he was given so much flack for that as well. Um, Well, that's 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 where I want that's where I want to kind of jump in, because, yes, we have this history of athletes, particularly black athletes protesting. Yes. But everyone you just named felt the brunt of the, the, the larger society saying, you can't do that. Yeah. So the 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 two gentlemen who who protested in the Olympics, they had their medals stripped. Uh, 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 Muhammad Ali lost his boxing card. Uh, Mahmoud Rahul Shahif pretty much got pushed out of the NBA. Yep. So none of them uh, pro- none of them uh, uh, were able to protest without severe consequence yeah for sure and um it's funny because in the more modern times you know post 2010 uh the age of social media the age of you know 24 7 coverage of everything whether it's you know professional news or not um there is kind of a a slight shift i would say um 
obviously Colin Kaepernick is one of those those stark contrasts to what I'm trying to get at. Um, he's, you know, he sued the NFL. I think we can all, or a lot of us can agree that he's been for a long time, been blackballed from the NFL. Um, I, because I follow the league so closely, sure. I can see the, the argument that maybe he's not a great personnel fit for every team. Sure. Not every quarterback is Aaron Rodgers or Pat Mahomes, but you know, the Ravens, I guess were close to signing him. He would have fit in Seattle and Bill Care, Bill, uh, Pete Carroll, excuse me, has been has been speaking out recently about how, you know, he's a great player and they almost signed him. Anthony Lynn in San Diego or excuse me, L.A. <laughs> Sorry, there always be San Diego Chargers to me. They, they keep moving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, you know, there are teams who they they give lip service to being interested. And, and sure, I'm even amenable to the argument that that Colin Kaepernick is not a starting caliber quarterback unless you design an offense around him. Sure. We can, we can argue about that. That's a barroom argument, but the point is there are, you know, there are 32 teams and probably 30 of them have backup quarterbacks who are third stringers, you know, Colin Kaepernick should at the very least be a backup quarterback. He, if, if it's me, if I'm creating a perfect world, he's backing up, Lamar Jackson in Baltimore because he just slots right into that offense. Uh, their coach, John Harbaugh had expressed interest in signing him, you know, in 2016, 2017. Mm -hmm. So, um, for, you know, because he's such a lightning rod because, you know, kind of, I don't want to say he made himself a lightning rod, but you know, he, he did, protest actively it wasn't like he was trying to avoid attention for his cause but you know it this was also during the 2016 election and donald trump made him a huge lightning rod a cultural lightning rod um you know some teams are reticent well well well, what we also forget about 2016 was that was a huge year for black people getting shot by the cops yes i mean I, i i think back to 2016 and it was so frequent that I, you, you almost felt like you could be shot at any point, just, you know, opening your door. Yeah. I mean, it, it was almost to the point where, and I, I don't mean to say this flippantly, but it's like you lose track of the names. You lose track right. of the names of the people being shot. Cause it's like, Oh great. There, there's another one, but there was one yesterday. I can't, right. I, you know, I can't even remember the name. You know what I mean? Well, and and I, I point that out because there's been, you know, a, a quite a few this year, but that year was far and above, like more reports than any year I'd seen in my entire life, yeah, and probably since. And yeah. that's the, that's the context in which he started protesting. Yeah, and it, it also came on the heels of of the of the few years before of um of obviously not quite as many, but like there was still just high profile cases where you know a reasonable human being looks at it and goes why did that person have to die like like, there's no reason that person had to die the quote-unquote crime they were being accused of or the quote-unquote threat they you know possessed 
at that immediate time was not commensurate with them being dead right now. Um, And, you know, look, Colin Kaepernick's from Milwaukee, (laughs) which is where I am right now. And I, I, I guess I kind of naively thought that he would make more of a difference um, than he ended up making. You know, I, I thought that his his protest would kind of be this 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 movement, the beginning of this movement the, or, or uh, of a larger movement, um, that he would be a catalyst for sweeping change politically, um, legally, socially. And it's, I guess, it was, that was foolish of me. I know that, that, <laughs> you know, obviously in retrospect and also just knowing that change and especially in this country comes in painstaking increments and it's never as much as we, as advocates want. But I, I really thought that he would kind of propel this, this, movement and conversation in the right direction from my perspective but instead he kind of just got he got blackballed he got pigeonholed as anti-american you know all the all the all the tropes really you know all the all the stereotypes um and i don't know kind of to your larger point if that's because he wasn't a superstar um, you know, we have LeBron is one of those names that jumps out to me that who speaks up, has been speaking up more, um, especially in regards to social justice. Uh, I remember he wore an I Can't Breathe t-shirt on the court. Um, yeah, I think I think the whole team did. Yeah. So, like, you know, to me, it almost because Americans are the way we are, it almost is going to take every quote unquote best player in the league or best, you know, top five player in the league to start opening their mouths more often, start speaking up on this stuff more often. But as you said, the the drawback to that is, okay, you're not going to be a top five player in the league anymore because, you know, we're going to blackball you or we're going to cut your playing time or we're just going to, you know what I mean? Like there's, there is a risk involved and sports especially carries this. Sorry, sorry to kind of steamroll you there, but like sports especially carries this um, finite amount of time where people can maximize their economic return on their talent. And that's very difficult to speak out when you're in your prime or you're, you haven't even hit your prime yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But are we at a point where the retaliation might stop? I mean, obviously I certainly hope so, but again, I was naive in 2016. So, (laughs) um, I mean, I certainly hope so. I, you know, I'm technically, uh, classified as a millennial, um, but I'm an old millennial. Um, so I look, I'm not naive to the fact that there are plenty of people born in the same year as me and, and, and later who are, um, exceedingly racist, who balk at 
any sort of defying of convention or defying of 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 the status quo but i also see you know i also see so many good things i see so many people even younger than me decades younger than me who are they're it's almost like they're they're blind to how bad things were you know what i mean right. like they they've been brought up in this era of Obama you know, and, oh, yeah. and same-sex marriage. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, everybody's equal. Like for a while. Yep. Yeah, it seemed like for a while we were arcing towards justice and then we hit a wall. Right. And and quite honestly, that's that is the history of this country, is it's it's fits and starts until there's enough you know, that's that's the kind of kind of the drawback of democracy in a way is you can't have a, a a dictatorial leader wave a magic wand and say sorry folks you know gays lesbians lbgtq what the queer community whatever you want to call it is they're human beings and therefore they're entitled to the same rights as straight folks magic wand waved everything you know they have the same legal rights you know, you can't ma- wave a magic wand and say black folks are are going to be treated as equals in this country um, because history tells us well, otherwise. Um, well, and... we, we don't we don't need we don't necessarily need an autocrat. <laughs> right. We need <laughs> well, political we will do. is what we need. Right. We, we need we need people who are not like a certain individual <laughs> who for some reason has staked his political flag, has planted his political flag firmly on the ground of we're going to take this back to 1940 for yes. some reason. Yeah. So yeah. absent absent that, maybe we might have moved the needle a little bit more. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm this is why I tend to be a little bit skeptical of anybody on either side who says, you know, my way is the only way the, you know, these are my policies and I'll, I'll, once I'm in office, I'll, I'll enact them, you know, willy nilly, everyone will bend to my will. I like left or right or center. I, you know, I'm skeptical of right. that language. Um, but I'm also well, they, they hopeful. Don't, they don't understand. They don't understand how the government works. For right. Like <laughs> yeah. You're one of an entire apparatus. Um, exactly. yeah. So I, I mean, uh, but at the same time, I'm very, I'm hopeful because even incremental change is change. And, you know, on a personal level, if I can leave this world better today than I left it yesterday, that that's a win to me. And I'll, I'll take that win over, over a loss. Right. Well, Nick, that's a great place to stop. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks for having me, bud. Yeah. Well, we'll need to talk more. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Shut Your New Soul podcast. Please like and subscribe. And also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. As always, we hope you enjoyed.